0: But I think with all my heart, we're living in the last days. And I think there is a great fresh lesson from this former life. So if you'll permit me to do this, I'd like to just kind of read a verse. And then let's piece together uh, what we find about the life of Elisha. Could I do this? Can I start back in chapter 2 for just a moment? Look back into chapter 2 and look, if you will, at verse number 10. And the Bible said this. When San... I'm sorry. Yeah, stand together here. I don't want y'all to... Good night. Y'all make me nervous. Just stand up. And so, uh, that's good. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, thank you for standing. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Now, I think what we got here are the enemies of the work of God. You know, anytime you start to do something for God, let's just be mindful of the fact that time that we are mindful to start something for God, the devil is mindful to stop something for God. And so he moves in opposition. You know, any time that something's moving, it's creating friction. And, uh, you know, the cars, and you, if you took all the oil out of your motor and then you cranked it up and all those things started moving in there, it ain't going to run long if it don't have oil on it. Because there's friction. There's heat that builds up. Anything that's moving is creating friction. So the Bible said that Nehemiah has come back to the city of Jerusalem and his desire is to rebuild the walls that have been broken down. But the Bible said in verse 10 that when Sanballat and Tobiah... When they heard about it, it grieved them. In fact, we read a little bit later, they actually started moving to stop the progress of building the walls again around the city of Jerusalem. How many of y'all are with me? Alright, now look at chapter 3 verse 1. Then Elijah, then Elijah, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even under the tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the tower of Hananel. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up and builded the Sheep Gate. Would you let me just for a moment piece his life together? And let's talk about this forgotten life and the fresh lesson that we learn from it. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word tonight? Help us, I pray, and speak to our hearts in this place. And God, help us all as we listen tonight. May the Spirit of God in our hearts help us uh, to learn the great lesson from the life of O'Elisha. Bless this service, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Our Old Testament... Our Old Testament can really be summed up in 11 words. Now, our Old Testament occupies what? 39 books of the Bible, of the 66 books of the Bible. But the whole Old Testament can be summed up in 11 words. The first word, creation. We understand that God created everything. Can I say this? If you don't get right on creation, you're never going to get right on the rest of the Bible. I don't know about y'all, but when I was growing up, I'm 56 years old. And when I was growing up, Mama used to put those old cardigan sweaters on us. I'm talking about sweaters had about, I don't know, eight or ten buttons going down the front. And that's what you wore when it got cold. Of course, when it got real cold, you put a coat on. But we wore those old sweaters around. And I never will forget, just growing up, most of the time, I'd get started buttoning that sweater. And down at the bottom, I'd always have more sweater than I did buttons. And what that's telling me is somewhere back up here, I didn't get started right. And uh, if I got started right, everything would wind up right down here. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't get right on creation, you're never going to get right on the rest of the Bible. It is God who created us. Hey, we're not just some slime that wiggled up out of a swamp one day. You know, it's little poem goes something like this. They said it was a tadpole when it began to begun, Then with a frog with my tail tucked in. Then a monkey swinging from a high tree. But now I'm a doctor with a Ph.D. That's not how this thing works. God did this, amen, amen, everything we see, God created, the word creation, and then the second word to understanding our Old Testament is the word corruption, because we move from Genesis 1 and 2 to the Genesis 3, and uh, we we come to understand what's happened to our world, you know, God created a perfect people, perfect pair, put them in a perfect, on a perfect planet in a perfect place, but now you and I know to live in this world today, something has run amok. What happened? Aren't you glad there's a Genesis 3 in our Bible? Because it tells us what's run amok in this world. Then we move from creation to corruption. Then we move to catastrophe. How that God was so fed up with the world that he just decided he was going to wipe the whole thing out. And had it not been for the first five or six words of Genesis 6 and verse number 8, our whole Bible would have ended with Genesis chapter 6 verse 7. But Noah found grace. Aren't you glad you found grace in the eyes of the Lord one day? And uh, the catastrophe, a flood came upon this world, the likes of which our world has never seen before. And then after the catastrophe come the confusion. Noah and his family uh, stepped off the ark a year and ten days after being on the ark, and God commanded Noah and his boys to replenish, to refill the earth. And then we know how that Babel, God confused the whole thing. and We got our cultures and our nationalities and our colors uh, from Genesis 11. And then we, we understand how there was a choosing, how that God reached down into the whole of humanity. And out of the whole of humanity, God chose one man that would be the father of one nation that God would choose to be exclusively His own people. Then we move from choosing, and we move to captivity as they go down to Egypt. The nation's now 70 strong, and they move down into Egypt. And then, of course, there arises another king who don't know Joseph. And, And the first thing we know, we find God's people in a confinement in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And then we understand how that God sent Noah or Moses down there and led God's people out of the land of, uh, out of the land of Egypt and they began the camping process of the Old Testament and for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness and they were pitching their tent and camping and then they eventually crossed over the Jordan River at a time when it was flooding and we have the conquering process of the Bible as they move into the land of Canaan and they begin to take possession of the land of Canaan. Then we move to the crowning part of the Bible where we have the kings that come on the scene and the 41 different men reign for over 500 year period and we have the crowning part but then we know brother that the nation turned against God and we move to the captivity part of the Bible and the Assyrians they uproot and carry off the northern kingdom and the the Babylonians uproot and carry off the, the southern kingdom and then we move from the captivity to the construction part of our Bible that's where Nehemiah comes in You see, during that captivity part, when uh, God's people were attacked and uprooted and carried off, the city of Jerusalem got destroyed. They not only destroyed that magnificent temple that Solomon had built, but they also, when they attacked the city, they broke gaping holes into the sides of that wall. And so Nehemiah, Ezra goes back, Zerubbabel, on the book of Ezra, they go back to begin the process of restoring the worship But Nehemiah comes back and his process is to restore the walls. Now somebody said, what's so important about walls? Well, you got to understand those walls were very important to the nation because those walls provided security for the nation. I mean, with those holes that they had knocked in those walls, those low-down Babylonians, where they had attacked the city of Jerusalem and knocked those holes and burnt the gates up and destroyed some of the gates, I mean, it left the city vulnerable to attack. Somebody had to go back and rebuild those walls to once again provide protection for the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is that man. He's working over in the king's palace. He's the a, a king's cupbearer. He's working one day. He hears about the devastation and the destruction of Jerusalem. God burdens his heart. He goes back with the permission of the king. He goes all the way back to the land of Palestine. He he gets on his beast one night. Starts riding up through the streets just to kind of get an idea of how bad the damage is. And And some of those streets are so blocked... By the damage. And by the way, we're seventy years later now. Seventy years later, the streets are still brought, blocked and laying full of the ruins and the wreckage of the city from the attack of the Babylonians. The next morning he 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 gets the people together and he says, Hey, I just want to tell y'all, God has sent me back here to rebuild these walls that surround the city of Jerusalem. And man, the people get excited and say, Nehemiah, if God's in this, let us rise up build now that brings us to chapter three so in chapter three the work commences i mean man nails are being hammered concrete's being stirred up rocks are being placed in the wall gates are being rehung if it's my part duct tape's flying everywhere duct tape fix anything duct tape and a bigger nail will fix anything Duct tapes flying everywhere, and those walls are being put back into place. This is a great chapter. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a chapter of superior organization. I mean, man, Nehemiah's got these people. They're working. They're busy as bees rebuilding those walls. They're superior organization. They're splendid cooperation. I mean, the people have a mind to work. They're working in harmony and in unity. And can I just stop and say, what a beautiful picture when God's people... and to work in harmony and in unity. I'll tell you one of the ugliest things you've ever seen is when a church turns its ammunition on each other and begins to fight amongst themselves. What an ugly picture that is. I don't know about y'all, but I remember the very church that I was saved and baptized in. We had a terrible split. And I was there the night that it happened and men were standing in the middle of the aisle and one was saying, Come on, just hit me. Come on, hit me. I'll call the law. And I mean, it, what an ugly picture it is Before lost in a dying world, when the church goes to war with itself. Boy, God's called us to unity. God's called us to love each other. Can I have an amen? God has called us to work together uh, in, in the things of God. And this chapter was full of superior organization and splendid cooperation. But this chapter is full of spiritual illumination. I mean, there are some great truths that we find in this chapter. The walls are being rebuilt aren't you glad that god is a re- rebuilder of that which has been destroyed Boy, aren't you so thankful because many of us sit in this room tonight and aren't you glad that our God delights in restoring broken things? Because many of our lives were broken by sin and by Satan and God, by the super glue of His grace, has picked the broken pieces of our life up and put us back together and by His grace made us stronger than we've ever been before. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? The devil delights in destroying and breaking and ruining us. But I want to tell you, friend, I'm glad we got a God that can put back together and restore and rebuild that which has become broken. Well, our whole chapter now starts off with a man by the name of Elisha. Now, let me tell you what his name means. If you want to write this down, he his name means this, my God is king. Boy, I tell you, he had a good name, didn't he? Boy, I kind of like the sound of that name, my God is king but really outside of that we don't know a whole lot about this guy he's mentioned here and maybe another place or two in the book of nehemiah and that's just about all we know about this boy this man by the name of elijah however as we look at what we are told about him i think we can kind of put some meat on a skeleton and kind of get a glimpse of what his life was really like would you permit me To say three things about him tonight. First of all, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Let me talk a little bit about Eliashib's position. Eliashib's position. Notice we're told in verse number 1 that Eliashib is the high priest. Eliashib is the high priest. Now, we don't know much about him other than the fact we know what his name means. But we also know what he did for a living. We know what his occupation was. The Bible said that he had the prestigious position of being the high priest over the nation of Israel. And can I say that was a very dignified position. That was a very prestigious position. I mean, man, his name is mentioned as being a high priest right up there with people like Melchizedek. Right up there with people like Aaron. Right up there with people like Eli. I mean, here's an old boy. We may not know much about him, but he's mentioned with the likes of people like that because he is the high priest. Now, of course, we know there were hundreds of priests in the land of Israel at this particular time. There were all kind of priests in those lands, but Eliashib alone had the high honor, the distinguished honor of being the high priest. The high priest was the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He enjoyed privileges that not only did the other priests not get to enjoy, but he enjoyed privileges that uh, that he alone, as the high priest, enjoyed because of that position. You see, he alone had the privilege of going into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God where God dwelt. He had the privilege to see things, the privilege to hear things, the privilege to witness things, the privilege to feel things that no other priest in all the land of Israel had the privilege to do. In fact, let me tell you something about old Elisha. On Elisha, on the annual day of atonement, he could go behind the veil. Now they say that old veil was about as thick as a man's hand. When we move over to the New Testament, Josephus said took 300 priests to hang that crazy thing up there in the temple. It was huge. It was impressive. I mean, when they put that thing together, they said a team of oxen pulling in opposite directions. Couldn't pull that thing apart. But Oeliosheb, on the Day of Atonement, one time a year, had the privilege to walk behind the veil. He could walk back in there and guess what was back there behind that veil? It was that Ark of the Covenant. It was that box made out of shite of wood that was overlaid with pure gold. And inside of that box was a copy of the of the Ten Commandments and a pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. And then on top of that, fitting into that crown that surrounded that Ark of the Covenant was a slab of pure gold known as the mercy seat. And brother, that was where God sat. That was where God dwelt. Right here on this earth was on that mercy seat. And Elisha had the privilege to walk back there in those days, and he could stand there representing man to God, and then he could walk back out of that tabernacle and represent God back to man. What a privilege. By the way, can I tell you something? You and I have the privilege to represent man to God. We're priests, the Bible said. We're not only kings, but the Bible said that God has made us not only kings. I, I'm royalty tonight. If you want to tomorrow night walk up and say, how you doing, King Tim? It'd be alright with me. Because I am a king. But I'm not only a king, but I'm also a priest. I have the privilege. I can get on my knees and in the name of Jesus, I can go right into the very throne room of God. Kneel right in His presence. And guess what I can do while I'm there? I'm pray for folks. You know what I'm doing? I'm representing man to God. But then I have the blessed privilege to get off my knees, walk back out of here in the world, and I have the glorious privilege to represent God back to man. Well, that's what Eliashib did. He was God's representative. I mean, he was the high priest. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know one thing. We know a little bit about his position, what he did for a living. So number one, there's Eliashib's position. But now here's where it gets good. Not only do we learn a little bit about Eliashib's position, but next we're told in verse number one about Eliashib's passion. Now, notice in verse 1, the Bible said that Elisha, the high priest, he rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Now, I don't know about you, but can I tell you something about Elisha? I can't help, but there in verse number 1, th- some things that said about him, I can't help but see how that he is representing the threefold work of Christ. I mean, number 1, for instance, we're told there in verse number 1 that he rose up. And he built the sheep gate. That reminds me of the sacrifice. Of Christ, you see those sheep. Those sheep were raised all over those Judean hillsides for the sole purpose of being herded into the northern part of the city of Jerusalem through the sheep gate, right into the temple area. And you know why they were there? They were there to give their lives. They were there to shed their blood. You know why were they were there? They were there to make an atonement, to make a sacrifice for the sins of the whole of humanity, brother. They were there. I, I, boy, I like this. They were there so that. That man's sin could be swept under the rug for another year. But bless your heart when Jesus came into this world. He just didn't die on the cross so that my sins and your sins could be put under the rug for another year. I don't know how y'all are, but my wife has me cleaning around the house sometime. I'm a terrible cleaner. I'm a good messer, but I'm a terrible cleaner. And, and sometimes she'll stick a broom in my hand. And she'll say, all right, you sweep the floors and I'll vacuum. And I'll get me a big pile up and I ain't interested in, you know what, I ain't interested in getting a dustpan, getting that up. No, sir. I like to pull the rug up. Sweep the dirt right under the rug and put the rug back down on it. You can't see it, but it's still there. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of those sheep, all they did was sweep the dirt, the sin, under the rug and cover it. But aren't you glad when Jesus came into this world as the Lamb of God? He just didn't come to cover our sin, but He come to do away with our sins once and for all. And brother, your sins are no longer under a rug. They're no longer in the sea of forgetfulness. They're no longer behind God's back. Thank God, because of the work of Christ, our sins are gone. Yeah, man. Why he's mentioned with sheep? Notice again, he's mentioned with the gate. Now you and I understand that Jesus is the gate to heaven. You can't get to heaven without Jesus. He's the only way. Can I tell you something about Jesus? Jesus is not just a good Savior. Jesus is not just the best Savior. Can I say it like this? He's the only Savior. We used to have a lady in our church, she's in heaven now. But her favorite saying was, uh, he's the onlyest one. Now, I ain't sure that's the word, onlyest. But I'll tell you what, he's the onlyest savior there is. You can go to heaven without a whole lot of things. See, if you don't agree with this, you can go to heaven without health and wealth, duty and beauty, learning and earning, fame and name. You can go to heaven without any of that. But nobody can go to heaven without Jesus. He's the gate. He's the way. And there is no other. Amen. So he's mentioned as the, uh, he's mentioned with the sheep for sacrifice. He's mentioned here with the gate for salvation. But then he's mentioned here as the high priest for saints. Can I ask you something? How many of you since you got saved have sinned at least one time? How many of y'all, or three of us? Rest of you, can I get you to sign my Bible right after church? If you don't mind, I'll just get you to sign my Bible right here. Y'all ain't never sinned since you got saved. You know, somebody once said this, the only way to live above sin is to get an apartment above a beer joint. You know, Jesus, when you get saved, it don't make you sinless, but it sure ought to make you sin less. Yes, sir. I hate to tell you all this. This may hurt your opinion of me. Somebody said that uh, confession is good for the soul, but bad on the reputation. But can I tell you something? I sin every day of my life. And God would be just and right if He just cut me off and let me go to hell. But I'm glad. I got a priest sitting there at the right hand of God who's constantly making intercession for me. And when the devil, as the accuser of the brethren, begins to accuse me before God... And by the way, I know the Bible said he's a liar and the father of all lies. But probably what it says about me is true. Because I'm as wicked as I can be. Y'all pray for me. But I can see him standing there... shout accusations against me in there but I mean to tell you he's telling God this and telling you see what he did he thinks he's a preacher look at him claims to be your child if I you, God I'd just cut him off and God looks over at his right hand where the Lord Jesus is sitting and Jesus raises those nail pierced hand and he says father that's one of mine that you gave me that's one of mine I died for on Calvary and I've accepted because they got a high priest at the right hand of God Oh, a Boy, he's something else, ain't he? I mean, we understand his position. But I want you to see his passion. Notice the Bible said that he rose up and builded the sheep gate. Now, let's give this old boy his kudos. I mean, he's holding this high, lofty, dignified position. But he's not too high and lofty to get his hands dirty in the work of God. Can I just say this? I don't care what kind of position you hold, whether you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a director of the ladies fellowships or whatever you are. Don't you ever get to the place that you're too good to get your hands dirty in the work of God. Amen. Let's give Oliashiv his kudos. I mean, you know what he could have said? As y'all, y'all, y'all work, I'll pray. And somebody said, well, that's what he's supposed to do. He's the high priest. But not just Elijah. No, sir. I'm telling you, he got busy working for God. Don't you ever get too good. Don't you ever get too big that you're too good to wipe the nose of a little snotty-nosed bus kid. We have folks, we run several bus routes in our church. I guess probably we got 15 or so bus routes in the church. And some of our bus workers have to go in. Mom and daddy's laying drunk from Saturday night. They'll walk in the door, kick the beer cans out of the way, go back there, get them little young'uns ready. Sometimes them little young'uns will come out with a green sock on and a red sock on and a bat room, bat, Batman bedroom shoe, and a, and a Nike tennis shoe. And our bus workers, bless their heart, will carry them little kids back in there and get them dressed to come to the house of God. Friend, I'll tell you, our nursery workers will change their diapers and wipe their nose. We got some ladies in the kitchen who are preparing a meal for them. I'm telling you, brother, if it was not for the grace of God, that'd be you, that'd be me. Let's don't ever get too good to work in the work of God. Boy, I ought to I want to get my hands dirty in God's work. Eliashib was in such a lofty position, but he wasn't too good to get his hands dirty in God's work. Anytime there's a work day around here, buddy, we ought to we ought to show up around here, friend. And I'm telling you, when there's work to be done, God's people ought to show up. You know why? Aren't you glad Jesus got his hands dirty for you? Yes, sir. I'm reminded over John thirteen, where he washed the feet, the stinking feet of those disciples. Yeah, he got down. What the duck? Aren't you glad we serve a savior? It wasn't too good to come down here and identify with us. Oh, Elisha, he's building now. What's he building? Well, the Bible said that he's building the Sheep Gate. Now, what I want you to notice in this chapter, and I'm going somewhere with this, and I'll be done. But I want you to look in this chapter that, and the one thing that we find as we move through this chapter that all these workers on the wall were working at a place near their own house. Well, let me say it like this. They were working with a personal interest in view. In other words, they were repairing the part of the wall that was next to their house. That, and they're thinking, their mindset, they were thinking, well, if we get attacked, if they invade the city, they can't get to where I live over here in this corner or whatever. So they all worked they all worked with a personal interest in view. Look at verse 10 of this chapter. The Bible talks about those people there. Uh, old Jedediah, the Bible said, verse 10, that he worked and repaired the wall even over against his house. Look again, same chapter, verse 23. The Bible talks about old Benjamin and Hashub. They worked over against their house. We read there in verse 23 about Azariah and the son of Ananiah. And he worked by his. I understand that. These boys want to protect their family. These boys are wanting to stop those holes up in those walls, those breaches in those walls. So their families will be safe in in the event there's an attack on the city. But when I read about Elisha, he didn't do that. No, sir. In fact, if you'll read on over in this chapter, his house was actually located on the east side of the wall. But Elisha is working on the north side of the wall. He's working not on the gate, not on the area near his house. He's working over there on the area near the house of God. I mean, he's working not with a personal interest in view. He's working with a spiritual interest in view. Let me tell you what I think Elisha was doing by building that old sheep gate. He was placing his priority on the city and the people being right with God. That's right. The sheep gate, uh, as I mentioned, is the gate of sacrifice. Where the sheep were brought in so their blood could be shed to postpone the sins for another year. And I think Elisha, by doing this, was realizing that the safety and the sanctity and the security of the nation didn't rest in its ability to defend itself. It didn't rest in its economy. It didn't rest in its allies. It rested in its ability to be right with God. Would to God America once again would understand the greatest defense that we have as a nation is not in our armaments, it's not in our allies, it's not in our assets, it's in our Almighty God. And if we'd get right with God and stop doing some of the crazy stuff that we're doing in America, God would protect our nation. Hey, I'm, not a, I'm for strong defense. I, I think we ought to spend money on the, on the defense. But I tell you what, if we just get right with God, God said, I'll, I'll be your defense. I'll be your strong tower. I'll be your wall. Our nation has never seen the things that's coming upon it today that, that we're seeing. Uh, in the history of our nation. We've never saw folks attack our country, our 48 states, in in this part of our nation. We've never seen that before. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. We're turning away from God. And as we turn away, God's beginning to lower the hedge. And we're seeing riots and racism and marches and protests and uh, all this stuff's going on in America. Somebody said, Preacher, what has happened to America? I'll tell you what's happened. We've turned away from God. But if we'll get right with God, God will build those walls back up again. Oh, Eliashib knew this. He knew that the well-being of his nation didn't rest in its relationships to others, but in its relationship to God. He realized that it was not the walls that was going to protect the city, but it was the worship that was going to protect the city. It was not the gates that was going to keep the enemy out. It was God that was going to keep the enemy. And he was working to build that gate back so once again, the city could be right with God. Can I say it like this, Elisha was putting God first. Now i got to show you something here. Because when you and I put God first, nothing but good things happens in our life. Let me quote you a verse. Y'all help me with this one. It's Matthew 6 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be, what's the next word? How, do you, what, what would you rather God to do? Add or subtract? I'm, I like addition. I hate subtraction. When I put my money in my checking account and then I pay my bills, I'm just praying when I get to the bottom line, there's a penny or two left. Because that's subtraction. I like it when I put it in and out the side, put deposit, this amount of money, and all of a sudden my account jumps way up there. Addition. And then I start paying them bills. And it's subtraction. Subtract. And when I get done, oh, dear Jesus, please let there be a penny or two left. I don't like subtraction. I like addition. Well, can I tell you something? When you and I put God where God needs to be, things begin to get added to our life. Now, let me tell you something. God just don't want a place in your life. God just don't want prominence in your life. God wants preeminence. God wants to be number one. And when we put him where we're supposed to put him, let me tell you something. Good things start happening. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up and built the sheep gate. Now, I kind of got it in my mind that Eliashib is probably not a good carpenter. I can't prove this, but you can't disprove it. And I am doing the preaching right now. Now, if your preacher preaches, he was a great carpenter Sunday, your preacher's Right? But for right now, I'm going to say he's a shoddy carpenter. He's probably like me. So he's working over there on that sheet gate. Everybody else is working over around the house. But he knows, man, we got to get this gate because our safety depends upon our relationship with God. Being right with God. So he's building that thing. and Preacher, I can see a man, he's he's driving nails in that thing. And he's stretching, stretching duct tape upon it. And when he gets done, he steps back and the crazy thing's hanging crooked. If you put a level on it, the bubble will just run completely off the thing. It don't look good, but at least it's up. Yeah. He's done his best because he's putting God first. Meanwhile, while he's over there putting God first, let me show you what's said that's going on over at his house, what somebody else is doing to the wall over there. Look over in this same chapter. Look at verse, verse number 20. The Bible said and after him Barak the son of Zabiah earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall unto the door of the house of Eliashib the high priest. Now look at that word earnestly. That word earnestly simply means this. It means skillfully. (laughs) So here's what I'm getting. Here's what I'm getting to. Eliashib's over here doing his best to put God first. And he steps back and maybe it's a little crooked and, man, it don't look good, but at least it's up. So he's put God first. And while he's over here putting God first, God's got a master craftsman. A master carpenter. Over here working on the gate and the wall over at Ship's house. You know why? And the Bible said he earnestly, he skillfully. I mean, when he stepped back, whoop. Put a level on it. Bubble in the middle. I mean, when you looked at that thing, it looked like it never been tore up to start with. It was perfected. It was, it was put back with perfection. You know why God took care of that for Elisha? Because God was over here. Because Elisha was over here putting God first. I won't tell you again, when you and I put God first, we may be over here doing our best and it may be crooked and with duct tape hanging off the hinges a little bit. But when we put God where God needs to be, He's got a He's got a master craftsman over here working on our part of the wall. We got to put Him first. You put Him first in your finances. Watch what He does. You put Him first in your in your life. Watch what He does. All these things shall be what shall be added unto you. Now, and I'm done. So we learn about His position, high priest. Whew. We learn about his passion. He's trying to put God first. But I almost wish I didn't have to tell you this. But we learn about his peril. You see, I almost wish the story of Elijah stopped right here in Nehemiah chapter 3. But if you'll go over with me to the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah, there's one more thing that we're told about a ship. Now I want you to really set up and listen and we're almost done. What time is it? Man, it's 7.58. I'm coming in for a landing. I'm circling. I'm circling the field. I'm coming in for a landing. And we're told one more thing. Remember that very first verse I read about Ballot and Tobiah who were the enemies of the work of God. Remember that? I read that, that chapter 2 verse, is it verse 10 or somewhere right in there? And it said, oh, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were grieved because somebody had come back to help the nation of Israel. They didn't like it. They were the enemies of the work of God. Now, with that being said, look at chapter 13 and look at verse 4. And before this, Elisha, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber, of the house of our God, was allied unto... Say it with me. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me get this straight. Tobiah is the enemy of the work of God. And now we read in the last chapter of this book that Eliashib, my God is king. Eliashib, the guy who's hanging, putting God first. Eliashib, the high priest has become an ally unto the very people that are the enemies of the work of God. What happened? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know what happened other than just to say this. Somewhere along the way, Eliashib fell in with the wrong crowd. Somewhere along the way, I don't know what it was, but somewhere along the way, well, I I think I do. Can I really tell you what I think happened? Eliashib's child married one of Tobiah's children. And they probably, I I can just see this. Can you not see this happening? I can just see it. Eliashib's boy comes in and says, "Uh, Daddy, you're not going to believe this, but I fell in love with Tobiah's daughter. He said, Son, now you know. Son, now you know better than that. You can't marry the enemy of the work of God's daughter. There ain't no way. Oh, Dad, you don't understand. They're really good people. Can't you just see this happening? Oh, Dad, you don't understand. They're, this is a good family. It's good people. In fact, i tell you what, Dad. I think we've kind of just misunderstood them just a little bit. In fact, Dad, let me tell you this. They're having a cookout over there at their house. And they're going to have ribeye steaks and and uh, grapefruit splash Kool Aid and and we're going to cook, we're going to fix some ice cream and Dad they invited you to come wouldn't you come go with me son I don't know man you know I they kind of withstand they oppose the work no Dad, no, Dad just give them a chance will you just give them a chance can't you just see it happening first thing you know here goes Elijah over to Tobias house for a cookout and they sit down they start talking a little bit man they're going back and forth You know what, Elijah begins to think, you know, maybe my boy's right. Maybe he's not such a bad person after all. Until finally, they join up. Can I use a country word? They get in cahoots together. Until finally we find out that Nehemiah, read the last of the chapter, throws Elisha out of the house of God. Can I say this? I've been pastoring now since I was 24. And if I'm 56, is that 32 years? Does my math serve me correctly? Can I tell you something? I sure have seen it happen a whole lot in churches. I've seen people, I think probably, you know, I can't, I can't prove this. You can't disprove it. But I think when Nehemiah stood up that morning way back in chapter 2 and he said, Hey, I just want to tell y'all, got everybody together. Just want to tell y'all that the Lord sent me back over here to oversee the work of rebuilding those walls. And those people got excited and said, Let us rise up and build. I think Elijah was probably right there in the front of that crowd. All stirred up and excited about the work of God. But you know something? Got to hanging around the wrong crowd. Got to hanging around that crowd that was negative about everything. Got to hanging around that crowd that was critical, didn't like the preacher, didn't like the church, didn't like the soul winning, didn't like the preaching, didn't like the singing. And it was just all hey, yeah, yeah 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 negative, critical. And first thing you know, oh Elijah's bought into that, and he's messed his life up. Boy, I wish I could tell you that I'd never saw that happen before. But can I tell you something? I've seen it happen more than I'd like to think about. We had an old boy at our church. The first church I ever pastored. His name was Kenny. I'll not call his last name. His name was Kenny. And him and his wife were lost. I mean, they were lost as a ball in high weeds. I'm talking about real high weeds, too. They were lost. I'm talking about... You know, some people are lost, and then some people are lost. They were lost. And... uh I got a burden for him. I did. I got a burden for him. I bet. And God bearing me witness. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I mean, I, I, I tell you, I probably visited them a hundred times. And, and, and I'd go over there and I'd try to get old Kenny to get saved and he'd get mad preacher and run me off. And his wife would follow me to the door and she said, now look, don't you take him seriously. You, you come back whenever you want to, preacher, you come back. Sure enough, next week I'd be back over there again. Guess what happened? One Sunday morning, they sat on the very back row of our church. I preached, it was one of the, I almost went to sleep preaching myself. Everybody was sleeping. It was typical Baptist Sunday morning. And I mean it, I was, I honestly, I about fell asleep three times trying to preach that morning. It was dead at 4 o'clock. And, and I'm telling you, I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stand and have one verse of invitation. And the only reason I did that is because I just preach against that all the time, not giving invitations. So I said, we're going to have one verse of invitation. We're going to go home. Well, they started playing. We had a piano player, not like y'all got. We had a piano player, and she played everything to the tune of There's Power in the Blood of Jesus. <laughs> she used about this much of the keyboard. So everything, when we say, you ever tried to sing Amazing Grace to the tune of There's Power in the Blood of Jesus? That's how it was, man. I'm not lying. She started playing. I looked back at old Kenny. Kenny was grabbing his coat. He's grabbing his coat. He's putting it on. It's time to go. And I looked at him. My eyes caught his eyes. And he he did it. He rolled his eyes at me. I said, he ain't going to get saved. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't get saved neither after this terrible service we've had this morning. And I said, uh, I said, well, I said I don't know why, but I'm going to sing one more verse, and we're going to go. And when I start, when they started playing on that second verse, Kenny Cribbs stepped out into the aisle, throw both hands up in the air just like this, and started come down the aisle just like this right here. I thought, and now here's what I thought: What in the world is wrong with him? <laughs> he come down. I said, uh, Kenny, what's wrong? He said. I want to get saved. That's what's wrong. I said, do you want to get what? He said, I want to get saved. I said, hold on just a minute. I had one of the deacons come over. And he stood up. And I said, man, King, old Kenny got saved this morning. Man, people just crying. And he said, I tell you what, only one thing make this better if my wife would get saved. I look back, here she come down the aisle. Him and her both got saved that Sunday morning. But I got to noticing right after they got saved, started hanging out with what I called the biddy committee of the church. Yeah, we had a little group of ladies, and I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but we had a little group of ladies in that church that didn't care for me. I I can't believe I'm like you. My my mouth, I'm just like you. I'm like your mouths are right now. If you got high blood pressure, you might want to put a nitroglycerin pill under your tongue right now. I mean, I'm amazed, but they didn't. They didn't like me. And I nicknamed them. There were four of them. The Biddy Committee. And you know something? I got the notice in preacher that Kenny's wife, after church, was standing around with him. I told my wife, I said, Honey, this ain't good. You got to be careful not only who you run with outside the church. You got to be careful who you run with inside the church. Because you are right now or you soon going to be just like the people that you associate with. And if you hang around that old negative crowd that's always down on the preacher and down on the church, it ain't going to be long you get down on the preacher. And that just like Elisha, make a long story short, you know what they did? They turned that old boy. Now, they didn't go see him one time before he got saved. Next thing I know, he's over at their house having a cookout. Sorry, rascals. Why didn't they care enough to try to go get him saved? bunch of buzzards. I'm so mad I just want to spit right now. And they totally turned that guy against me. And it wasn't long till, can I tell you this? He become one of the greatest enemies I had in my life. He accused me of things, stealing money from the church like I got, could steal money from the church. He accused me of going to the store and buying groceries on the church's account when I bought groceries and carried them to his house when he hurt his back. He accused me of all that. I mean, just it was just terrible. You want me to tell you what happened to him? started running with the wrong crowd, yeah. just like oh, Elisha, a good man, but he messed up his life because he started running with the enemies of God. Can I just encourage you tonight? Let this be a warning to us all. If it could happen to him, it could happen to you. That's right. Hey, don't get critical. Don't get negative. Love the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And don't become in opposition to the work of God. You don't have to say it. Let me say it. Amen, preacher. Amen.